You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker. We have Yuivo, founder and CEO at ProductFi. And in this episode, we'll talk about multiple things such as reaching out to absolute random people on LinkedIn in order to test out the idea for the company, passing out on the acquisitions and so on and so forth. And of course, we're going to talk about the fundraising. So you let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on ProductFi. Yeah, thank you. Um, happy Thursday. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so, you know, my background is uh, started out as a developer uh, and then over the years, having been given the opportunities to run a product engineering and operations team, um, you know, a lot of it's in regulated space, mostly fintech, health tech, um, super passionate about financial products and services, um, really felt that financial services has both a tremendous opportunity and huge moral obligation to do societal good. And we as an industry have um, left a lot of vulnerable people behind and so really passionate about you know, wanting to address the issue at its core. And so started ProductFi in 2018 with the thesis that financial services is moving towards the edge. That means more and more non-banks are going to be looking to offer financial products and services. And, um, you know, we've been spending the last couple of years building out our platform technology programs. And, um, you know, we're at a point now where I think that we're on the cusp of really proving out what it would take to build a decentralized financial infrastructure on traditional bank. So building DeFi for traditional bank, if you will. Right. So the first time we met on our pre-interview call, I was extremely confused by that explanation. So let's go into a little bit deeper explanation and maybe go over an example of how to use uh, Productify, just so that all of our listeners are on the same page and they will all understand how cool the product is. So you can you give us an example of how to use Productify or uh, just one use case of it? Uh, yes, sir. We'll be happy to do so. So if you think about... Um, you know, where, where financial services can really add value. You think about someone like my mom, um, you know, she, she goes to church several times a, a week, or at least she did before COVID. And for her, she has a deep, deep relationship with the church. So what if that church could create a credit union-like experience for her, right? Being able to offer her a debit card, secure credit card, an FDIC insured account where she can deposit money, what if that church had the ability to turn around and, and, and lend money short-term so that their congregation don't have to take out short-term payday, uh, short payday loans? And then what if um, the church is able to do basic services like being able to do uh, check cashing? And so being able to enable that type of organization to offer financial product and service as a credit union-like experience um, you think about a university being able to offer a secure credit card to its students so that they can help them build credit and help them rein in spending. You think about, you know, a gaming studio being able to issue uh, a card to its users so they can leverage um, that, that relationship and turn around and give points that can be used towards digital assets. You think about um, programs that, that, that really serve um, retailers through private label cards. So um, it's really this opportunity of seeing financial products and services not as a standalone offering, 
but it's about thinking financial services is a way to help build a better user experience. And it's embedding financial products and services into an operational workflow or an offering um, like Lyft being able to pay their drivers with a debit card, like creating um, a debit card that can hold your HELOC funds um, when you refinance. It's to be able to create a credit union-like experience at a CBO, a community organization, a, a religious organization. Mm -hmm. This is what we think um, could, could be really amazing. Love it. The idea behind it is absolutely wonderful. The moment I realized what exactly Prodify does on our pre-interview call, I was like, all right, this guy definitely goes on the podcast as soon as possible. Uh, so yeah, now that we covered that, now that everyone understands what exactly Prodify is and how cool it is, let's go and discuss the major subject of the entire podcast, which is fundraising. And let's start with the fact that uh, I believe you are the sole founder of Prodify. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. So sole founders, that is I'm not going to say it's very rare, but it is quite rare for sole founders to raise so much money because Productify, I believe, up to this point raised over $18 million, and that is not as common as one might think. Uh, so from your perspective, you know, being a sole founder, do you think it is okay to run a company by yourself, or do you wish you had a co-founder? Um, you know, I, I always wish to work with amazing people. Um, and so, you know, for me, yes, I am technically the sole founder, but, um, you know, I, you know, my very first hire, someone that I, I, you know, grew from like a, a junior engineer all the way to someone who ran UI engineering at my previous company. Right. So I, I you know, I was able to bring him on like, you know, uh, early on. Um, and, and, and he's been with me for like the last, you know, I've known him longer than I've known my wife. Um, my wife was there every step of the way. Um, you know, she, you know, she did our payroll, she did our billing, she did state filings, taxes, all of those things. I had investors who I could call on a Saturday and they'll spend 30 minutes, you know, explaining things to me. You know, Thompson, uh, uh, the best angel investor you can possibly get for a fintech, you know, he spends countless hours with me on the phone. And so, yes, I am technically, you know, the only founder, but in no way was I ever alone in this journey. And I could never have made it without the support structures um, that all these really extraordinary people um, uh, brought to bear with me. 100% love the sound of that. So let's talk about how you managed to find those amazing investors. On our pre-interview call, you mentioned that you, when you got the idea for Productify, you literally reached out to completely random people on LinkedIn. And some of those eventually became your investors. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? Why did you decide to just you know, go with random people instead of trying to target some particular you know, type of LinkedIn users? Yes, sir. So, you know, I, I basically look for entrepreneurs, um, you know, like people who, who have done it. And I just reach out to them and I was like, hey, I have this idea. I don't know how to do this. And, and what I've learned, you know, early on in life is, is that people are generally very kind to you. Um, if you give them, you know, not everybody, obviously, but most people are kind to you. If you give them the chance to be, right? You know, I, I, I was homeless in high school until I found, you know, my best friend's parents decided to take me in, right? Um, they helped make sure that I go to college, right? Every step of the way, I had people who just showed me kindness in a way that I, was, I didn't deserve. And so that carried with me. It's, um, you know, I, I, I had an idea I thought was compelling. I reached out a bunch of random people. And, 
you know, a bunch of them got back to me. And out of that, a subset of them became really involved and, and, and you know, a, a smaller subset became investors. But, but really, um, it's, just about, it's just about realizing that, you know, more often than not, you're going to run into kind people and just put it out there that you need help. And, and, and you know, you'll, you'll, you'll generally get back pretty decent reception. 100%. That is guaranteed. That is true, especially in the startup industry. If you're starting out, if you're the founder or if you're one of the co-founders, you reach out to random people, tell them, here's what I'm doing. I need help with XYZ. People will legitimately help just because they want to help out someone who's starting out. So yeah, definitely go for it. Um, <clears throat> so let's go and actually uh, talk about the... I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> Do you need water? No, I'm good. I have water right here. I'm fully hydrated. Do not worry about that. Uh, so let's let's talk about the acquisition part of it. Uh, on our pre-interview call, you mentioned something that really caught my eye there, which is the fact that you actually had quite a few acquisitions down the road um, or earlier in this years. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about those? How did those come up? Where did they come from? Or who offered you the acquisitions? Yeah, so I mean, I'll talk about two um, that I think are the most poignant um, because they, they just illustrate like what you really need on this journey. The first is, um, you know, we met with this company where, where you know, the CEO was, was someone who, um, you know, ha had a very, very well-known brand and, and didn't come from fintech, but had a well-known brand, could raise a ton of money. And, and you know, that, that you know, he, he'd already raised money and he basically said, hey, like, let's team up. And I said, yeah, like, you know, would love to, right? I don't, you know, I, I, I don't mind like teaming up and, and, and working together. I, I believe, you know, in collaboration. Um, but, you know, somewhere along the line, it became kind of clear to me that that conversation wasn't going well because he doesn't really understand the FinTech space and certainly doesn't feel as deeply about it as I do. There isn't this mission-driven part of it. But, um, you know, they, that person said something to me that, 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 that you know, kind of made me rethink things. It's like, look, Yui, you don't understand. You're not the caliber I am. I can get meetings and have conversations that you can never have. And at that point, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. This is before we, this is up to this point, I think we've raised $180,000 total. Um, and, so, and so on the way home, I, I called up Thompson, uh, the angel investor that I mentioned earlier. I called up Ben, who's, who's our first institutional investor out of 500. Um, and then I called up my wife, you know, David and Bao, who, who were with me. And unanimously, they all told me no. Like, I was ready to sell out. I'm like, look, like, you know, that guy's right. Much higher caliber than me, um, you know, you know, can raise money from a VC. I, I certainly don't know how to do that. Um, but unanimously, they all said, no, don't do it. Like, like you have a vision, you know, let's, let's see this vision through. And then the second one, um, was you know was from an organization that we we have you know relationships with, um, and you know they you know they were looking uh, uh, at at an acquisition um, at a valuation that is like very very low. But at the time, I didn't know it was very low. Like it was, you know, like three million dollars was far more than I've ever seen in my entire life. So it was and you know and so it was like it was like a, like the acquisition of a company for three million seems like a, a slam dunk for me. Um, and, you know, we were thinking like, yeah, I, I don't know how to fundraise. So why don't we just do this? And luckily, you know, they took a while to get the paperwork together. And by the time that that happened, we'd already had a venture firm reach out to us and had made us an offer to lead our, our, our seed round. So, you know, with the first time it was, 
the courage that I found in my network to say no. And with the second one, it was just, you know, the other person took too long. The other organization took too long and we got a better investment offer and we went with it. A lovely story of how bureaucracy saved the company, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. And yeah, it, it can be useful, apparently. Never would think that's the case. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about the fact that you had no idea how to fundraise. You really didn't know, you know where to go next, but you still managed to raise over $18 million. So let's talk about that journey. Um, and let's start with the very first round. I think you mentioned that initially you raised uh, just about $280,000 and you were living for over two years on those $280,000. Do you think that was a good choice? Do you think it was a you know nice strategy of bootstrapping slash slight influx of cash? Or do you wish you had a couple more millions in your bank account at the time? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we actually, you're right. You know, you're absolutely right that we did raise 280,000 over, you know, two year period, but we actually raised $180,000 for about a year and a half. And then we raised the extra hundred thousand in like the second, like the second half of the second year. So for a year and a half, we had survived on $180,000. That was our initial raise. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not good at counterfactuals. Um, but, but what I can say that, so that was a reality we lived in. Do you wish we had more money? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, you know, I had just given, <laughs> my, my wife and I had just uh, had a baby daughter and I was leaving a, a decent job running engineering for, for a tech company to do this. So yes, sir, I, I desperately wish we had money. Um, is it a good strategy? I have no idea, but that was the reality <laughs> we were in. And, and the thing that got me through it was one of the best advice um, that I ever got from, uh, from starting a company and, and arguably the best advice that I've ever gotten. And again, no surprise, it came from Thompson. Um, most startups die by suicide, not by homicide. And so it was like, all right, like as long as we can live to fight another day, we're going to do it. And it forced us to be so incredibly focused. It forced us to have to work crazy hours. It forced us to just appreciate every single hour of the day. Um, and, and I don't know if that would have been the case had we been flush with a lot of capital, because we've seen companies in our space raise a ton of money and not really make any progress. Um, but, you know, it, it made it easier, I guess, when we did our series, uh, our seed round, because people are like, oh, wow, like you already have all of this stuff built and you already have a client. Mm -hmm. And then our series A comes around. It's like, oh, okay, you already have all this stuff built. <laughs> so, you know, like we had time to figure out a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but those were the benefits of not having a lot of money. Absolutely. There are definitely huge, amazing perks of not having too much money or not too much pressure from your investors. And I love this quote, most startups die from suicide or by suicide, not by homicide. Love it. And definitely going on my Twitter, which I haven't touched in ages. Um, <laughs> so good work. Props to your investor there. Um, so the majority of the listeners of this podcast are founders who have never raised money before or who have raised maybe a pre-seed round from friends and family. Um what would be your advice to those people? What is your major learning from your own experience there? Uh, that you would like them to know of? Um, like really stop and ask yourself why, why you're starting a company. Because if you have a mission, look, if, if, if you think that you're starting a money because there's some big payday down the line that you're optimizing for, 
Um, maybe that's what will keep you going, but I don't know if it would have for me. So like for me, having that mission, having this like life purpose, um, doing something you feel, you know, gives you a sense of, of, of comfort. Um, that is what's going to get you through because that's, what's going to force you to not like give up. Right. Because when, when the investors laugh you out of the room, when, when they don't think your idea makes sense, when, when none mm -hmm. of it works, um, the, like, like the only thing that's going to get you going is that do you and your network, quite honestly, um, believe that there's something here and you just keep building and building and, and you have to believe that someday someone outside of you and those closest to you are going to see value in it. Um, and like I said, if you're just optimizing for like a payday someday, that is going to be a hard, <laughs> you're not going to make it through the night if you do it that way. Um, so, so, so have a greater purpose. And that greater purpose will give you um, the, the tenacity to pull through and the ability to do what, what, what will your job is to help investors see what they don't see. Mm -hmm. And if you yourself don't see it, the investors aren't. And so have purpose. I think that's going to go a long way. Yeah, that is definitely a common advice. But people, if you're starting a company just because you think that's interesting and that's a way to make money, that has worked in the past as well. I have interviewed quite a few founders who had great acquisitions who started companies legitimately because they knew that you know this company or this sort of company is going to do well. There is a financial viability there. Investors are going to love it. So let's just do it. There is no career good behind it, but it's just going to make money. And <clears throat> it did work out for them quite well. So if that's the case, it just might work out. Um, on this note, let's go back a little bit because I forgot to ask you the question that I actually wanted to ask you very much, which is paying yourself salaries. And you mentioned that you, know, you had a baby and you wish you had more money in the bank account. And on this note, let's talk about paying yourself a salary as a founder. At what point did you start paying yourself and how much was it? Um, after we signed our first client and it was $4,000 as a contractor per month. So like, not like, which is less than what you would make if it was like salary for 4K. Yep. Uh, so it was $4,000 as a contractor per month. Nice. And how did investors react to that? Uh, did you slowly, that's, that's the reason why I'm asking so many questions on that or why I'm drilling down on that is because mm -hmm. a lot of founders get confused about paying themselves. Some of them pay themselves way too much. Some of them just try to starve themselves to death. Uh, so what do you think is the you know, silver line there? Where, how much should a founder pay themselves if they're leaving off purely capital that they just raised? And let's say it's series uh no actually let's say it's a seed round right so um you know for 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 me i, I think the question is like at at the stage we were at it didn't really matter because it was like well we ran out of money we're gonna keep working anyways mm -hmm. so it was more like this ritual of like every month seeing money disappear from the company account that forces you to refocus right mm -hmm. it's that it's that like there, there, there is a, there is a very, very um, uh, clarifying effect to know that every month you are losing this percentage of a chance to fight. Now, if we didn't have money, will we keep going? Yes. 
but just seeing that disappearing every single month and then seeing, you know, less of it disappearing because you're getting some revenue, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that is the mental games that you play to give yourself, um, you know, the wherewithal to continue. Love it. On this extremely, extremely optimistic note, let's move on to the very last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So uh, you, what do you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Yeah, you know, I, I got to where I am because there's a lot of kindness out mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, if, if I can be helpful, if I can pay it forward, like, you know, I kind of owe it to the, to the broader universe, if you will. Um, you know, reach out, like connect me on LinkedIn, but when you do, you know, please actually tell me why you're connecting on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like if I just think you're like a random, you know, person who's just trying to make a, a, a sale, then I'm probably not going to connect to you. But you know, if you're like, Hey, like, this is what I would like some help with. Like, I'd like to pay it forward. And of course, if you're part of a company that needs any type of the ability to offer financial product from like card issuance to deposit accounts, to wires, to money transfers or whatever, KYC, of course, come check out productfy.io. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's productfy.io. And I would just absolutely love um, to, to chat with you. I love it. Love this call to action and love the whole pay forward idea of the startup world. It definitely works. And people are definitely very nice to each other because most of them got where they are because someone else helped them. Uh, So yeah, on this extremely optimistic note, we'll wrap it up. My call to action is as usually check out the description of this episode. I'll include a bunch of links in there, specifically LinkedIn of Yui. There's also going to be a link to ProductFi and there's also going to be a self-plug there for our newly developed course of fundraising. So if you're curious how to reach out to investors, what kind of tools to use, definitely check it out. All of that good stuff is going to be in the description of this episode. And as usually, have a good day.